Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 124 of the Australian Hiker podcast. In this week's episode, we have something slightly different for you as we interview Mickey and Michelle about their upcoming journey on the Te Araroa Trail in New Zealand. This is one of the world's premier long-distance hiking trails, starting at the top of the North Island and finishing at the bottom of the South Island for a distance around 3,000 kilometres. In itself, this is a big trip that presents many challenges and will take a number of months to complete, but if that wasn't enough, they have a few other complications to make this trip more difficult for themselves. Even though Michelle is only 29, she suffers from osteoporosis, and in addition, they are both musicians, and deciding that they didn't want to have such a long period away from music, they'll be doing a series of concerts along the way as a means of funding their trip and to help raise awareness of osteoporosis, which affects one in three women and one in five men over the age of 50. So grab a seat and strap yourself in. Before we talk to Mickey and Michelle about their upcoming journey, I just want to provide a brief overview of the Te Araroa Trail. And excuse my pronunciation of the Maori language, I'm sure I probably haven't got it right. The Te Araroa Trail in New Zealand is a continuous 3,000 kilometre track from Cape Reinga in the North Island to Bluff at the bottom of the South Island. It was officially opened on the 3rd of December 2011 bringing together a series of sections that had been progressively released since the formation of the New Zealand Walkways Commission in 1975. Te Araroa is the ultimate five-month New Zealand hiking experience, connecting settlements, townships and cities. It's a corridor that encourages social and economic transactions uh, for Māori stays and other cultural experiences. The track corridor showcases a wide variety of New Zealand experiences, uh, natural, cultural and historic, and it's very similar, I suppose, in some respects to the Appalachian Trail in that it does pass through towns, does include road sections. It's not the, a, a completely wilderness experience, and it probably would be, be very difficult to try and track the entire length of New Zealand and actually do that. So if you've ever wanted to go through and have a good look at New Zealand, this is probably the opportunity to uh, to do it. So now that we have provided a brief overview of the Te Araroa Trail, let's talk to Mickey and Michelle who are just about to start their journey. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Mickey and Michelle to the Australian Hiker Podcast. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us. Ah, oh, hello. Thanks. I mean, Thank you. you're welcome. <laughs> Good start. Okay. So um, before we talk about your upcoming journey, give us a bit of a background on your hiking experience. I believe that you've both done some long-distance trails in the past. Yeah, we have. Um, so um, I suppose the biggest one I've done is the Australian Alps Walking Track. I'm guessing you're familiar with that one. Yeah, that's, that's actually on my list for next year. You're going to hike it next year? Cool. I am, yeah, yeah. It'll be, it'll be towards the end of the year as uh, once the bulk yep. of the snow is gone. It'll still be some snow around. Yeah, so. that's a good time. Um, yeah, that was my first long-distance hike uh, back at the end of 2017. And, yeah, I just loved it. I just fell in love with long-distance hiking and just the um, the whole the mindset that you get in too when you're doing something. That one took me six weeks to do. And, yeah. Um, but when hiking for me started, uh, probably when I was 23, um, my dad is an avid hiker and, um, he took me to the Grampians and we did a couple of hikes around there and I just fell in love with it. And I think even it was still that year, actually, we went up to, um, Mount Feathertop, which was my first Alpine experience. And yeah, that was just blew my mind really. <laughs> and it was there I suppose, that I, um, that I was really interested in doing the um, Australian Alps walking track. Um, and, yeah, it took a few years. I think it was about three years later that I ended up doing that one. So was that the longest trail you'd done at, done at that stage? Yes. Actually, before I did the Australian Alps walking track, the longest hike I'd done was a couple of days. <laughs> well, actually, no, it, 
when I decided to do it, I'd only done a couple of days. But then when I, um, yeah, confirmed that that's what I wanted to do, I did a week's hike in order to test gear and see how I went and that kind of stuff. I was going to say, you, you, you possibly couldn't have picked a logistically more difficult one to, to do as, as your first <laughs> right. long-distance trail. <laughs> I realised that afterwards. <laughs> um, because we, uh, Mickey and I went and did the Lara Pinta, um, I think about a year after that. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, oh, well, this is a bit easier. It's two weeks and there's places to put your food drops there's and that kind of stuff. three food drops in. Yeah. yeah, rather than a week's food drop and having to drive. I drove uh, 20 hours for the Australian Arts Walking Track in order to do all the food drops and then came back and did the hike. And, yeah, you're right. Logistically, that one was crazy. Um, but I learned a lot. Oh yeah, you, I was going to say you definitely would, and I think a, a lot of the tracks you do from there on will probably be much much easier. That's what I found. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the nail on the head. And all, right. So, oh. all right. So what what about you, Mickey? What's your what's your background? Well, I was a total um, newbie, um, and when Michelle was doing the Australian Arts Walking Track, her hiking buddy pulled out uh, for the last two hundred k's. And I got a quite a random phone call to to uh, to come and join, which I took up, and I totally and I'd never been on an overnight hike at the time, <laughs> so I too have suffered a baptism of fire and blisters, and um, yeah, but I yeah fell head over heels and um, absolutely loved it, and then yeah, since then we've done another two hundred kilometers to the Australian Alps, the middle one from Threadbow to yeah. Hotham. Yep, and I've still got to tick off the the final two hundred k's, but we'll get there sometime. <laughs> I did a, and, uh, uh, I actually did the um, the section from Kyandra to to uh, Canberra or Thawa uh, over Easter because I just wanted a bit of a taster and just to see what it was like. And uh, uh, I think I'm looking forward to doing it next year. So I think it'll be it was it looks yeah. like a really good track. All right, so from that it sounds like you've sort of both developed the the long distance hiking bug, but mm. given given your past experiences. How did you decide to do an, an adventure the size of the, the Tayaroa? Uh, okay, I suppose that's me. Um, <laughs> when I finished this giant nuts walking track, I look, I didn't really want to finish it. I wanted to walk back the other way. So apparently six weeks wasn't quite enough. Um, so I suppose from then on I've just been looking for something bigger. And, of course, there are ones in Australia and that kind of thing. But I liked, as you were sort of saying before, this giant ups is you've got to do a lot of preparation for it. Um, and so I, I like the idea of some of these uh, longer trails, say, um, like in America, like yep. the um, Pacific, yeah, the Appalachian Trail and I think the Pacific Crest um, Trail, uh, where you don't have to do food drops particularly. You know, you pick up, um, go to supermarkets along the way or you, you know, post to yourself in the future and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and then I found out, um, you know, that right very close to us, just across the pond in New Zealand, there was this uh, six-month or 3,000-kilometre hike. And yeah, it just kind of went from there. So um, now, just giving uh, the other thing, I suppose, with this as well, you two, apart from actually doing the hike itself, um, you, you know, that's that's one difficulty. Uh, you've also decided to to give yourself a couple of other extra um, extra <laughs> difficulties as well. So you, you're both musicians, I believe. Um, so, what's the the musical aspect of your trip? <laughs> Why did that happen? <laughs> well, um, so it was Michelle who spearheaded the mm. Te Aroa. Te Aroa? Am I yeah. saying it right? That's uh, actually one of our list um, objectives is to learn how to say it properly. I, that's how I pronounce it, but I'm sure if you get to New Zealand, they're going to talk about it a, a totally different version. So yeah, uh, we, can, right. we can say it's the Australian one... version. <laughs> yeah, true. There's one YouTube video that we found of someone pronouncing it, but it's quite garbled. <laughs> so that's the best we've got. But thanks. Uh, well, for this interview, I'll be saying Tay Aroa then. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was Michelle's idea. Um, and I was less enthused by a six-month hike because I didn't want to give up music for that long. So I was considering um, maybe joining her for half of it and doing three months. Yeah, okay, what happened was is that I, um, yeah, so we were looking at, um, I was going to hike the full thing and Mickey was going to join about halfway through and maybe do the South Island and do three months of it. And then um, he was away on a music camp and I um, was doing a snow hike by myself. And, you know, that was really lovely. It was going really well. But I woke up at about 2 a.m. and I was extremely cold <laughs> sitting on an ice block. And I sort of had this thought, you know, that um, his main concern with the um, TA was, 
not playing music for that long. So what if we were to just bring our instruments? Maybe I could convince him to come on this six-month hike. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> now, I think that's that's probably a bit easier for you, Mickey. I believe you're a – now, if, let me get this right. You're a, a jazz um, fiddlist or violinist. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it weighs a healthy – 300 grams, maybe. <laughs> it weighs a couple of kilos in its case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a harpist. And although I have a very um, awesome uh, travel harp, uh, which is this Scottish starfish harp, it weighs, the actual harp weighs about 8.5 kilos. But once you put it in its case, um, its flight case, it weighs about 20 kilos. Yeah, no, not really, not really something you want to carry around if you can avoid that. Yeah, so yeah. Michelle will be carrying the harp, no. and I'm carrying all of our food and gear. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the harp would probably be about the maximum I'd want to carry. So exactly. it, it, it is, it's <laughs> my maximum, but it's a really awkward shape. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, that was the first issue that we came up with. Um, how? Yeah, this seemed like a really fun idea. This walking tour. I've heard of people, you know, doing kind of troubadour sort of walking tours before but maybe they didn't have as ridiculous instruments or i've actually heard of someone doing like a bike tour and putting um sort of wheeling their <laughs> instruments along yeah in the uh folk communities you often hear <laughs> some alternative tour transports i've heard of a guy who's um solo i mean his main objective for touring around europe was to emit no carbon emissions oh, that's awesome. and so he toured by rowboat the entire <laughs> around the mediterranean I've heard, I have heard of a couple of – there's been a couple over the last few years. That, um, I was listening to one of the English podcasts just recently, and there was a guy who um, he did it without taking any money with him, and he was raising money purely by busking. Uh, and he said, you know, he, 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 um, um, he started – I think he was actually playing the violin as well. Uh, and I think he start, He got less than six months in advance, and he said he, he thinks that people were paying him to stop playing. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he, and he, and he did. Yeah, that's that's our business model that we're. <laughs> so and I think I think he'd actually based that on something that a, a, a famous musician had done ten, twenty, thirty years ago. So uh, oh. and he and he and he and basically he only spent what he earned. So he either ate exceptionally well or he ate fairly poorly. <laughs> So what's the what's the the idea? I'm I'm, I'm assuming you're not going to be carrying a a twenty odd kilo harp with you. You're gonna you're gonna somehow handle the musical instruments some other way because I I can't imagine even if you could carry them, it's not going to be particularly good for the instruments. Uh, you are correct. <laughs> ding ding. Um, so uh, the man who made my violin uh, this year, his name is Paul Davies. He he just lives around the corner. Uh, and he's he's a really lovely, I can probably say on air eccentric. Uh, down to earth. Let's say down to earth. Uh, Luthier. And uh, when we told him about the upcoming trip, he got really excited. And he actually offered to pay to have our instruments couriered from gig to gig. Um, so we're currently in the process of designing an elaborate spreadsheet for him. And so he'll be in charge of that. And we'll just be walking from venue to venue. And with uh, slightly rusty fingers, but um, <laughs> we plan on getting to each venue a couple of days beforehand and doing some hardcore practice to get back in the performance zone. All right, so that so that's the the musical side of things. Now, um, the other side of the other difficulty, I suppose, with this this walk as well, uh, Michelle. I believe you have osteoporosis. Yeah, I do. Um, I'm 29 now, and I found out when I was 24 that um, that's something I have. Although technically, at the moment, I now have osteopenia, which is just—it's the same kind of thing, but not as bad. <laughs> it means that on the chart that they give you, you go from the red into the yellow, and that's better color. <laughs> but ideally, you're in the green. Yeah, <laughs> it's like traffic lights. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do. Um, it's something. It's one of the reasons, I suppose, that I, yeah, besides, you know, my dad being um, really into hiking and that, it's weight-bearing exercises is really good for osteoporosis. And so um, prioritizing my fitness has become something um, that's been on my mind since uh, since I was 24, so sort of for like the last five years. And, yeah, um, hiking is really good for it. Uh, you have to, um, although you have to make sure that you um, keep your weight up, because not yeah, losing weight is not so good for osteoporosis. Is that because you, um, lo you, you lose a lot of muscle mass? Uh, is that the reason? Yeah. Or is it? Well, I think um, 
I guess I don't actually know 100%. I just know, um, yeah, that low weight is not particularly good for osteoporosis. Um, so, yeah, hiking is good, but as long as you're healthy while you're doing it and making sure that you're getting enough energy from your food and that kind of thing to fuel what it is that you're doing. Okay. So now as far as um, um, hiking is concerned, is, is walking a good exercise for, for, for dealing with osteoporosis? Yeah, um, walking is good. It's um, So the best exercises for osteoporosis are weight-bearing exercise and um, impact, which hiking fits into that. Depending on your style. <laughs> Depending on your style. Um, yep. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's it's a tick. You know, things like swimming and cycling are not so, they're fine, they're good for your fitness and that kind of stuff, but they're not going to build bone um, in the same way as hiking or, yeah, doing lots of jumping. <laughs> uh, yeah, I must admit I uh, I managed to just, uh, partly destroy one of my discs on my back a number of years ago uh, mm. and, and uh, providing I keep myself fit and I keep a strong core, I'm fine. If I ever let myself get to a, a, a fairly poor fitness level, I know about it. So it's it's a, yeah. it, it forces yeah. me into being fit. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it feels a little bit like that too, actually. Um, it's something I'm aware of and that um, I need to think about um, besides doing, you know, we, we go on lots of hikes and that kind of thing, but also we do exercise every two to three days and um, lots of jumping exercises, running down to the park and that kind of thing to help build bone density um, as well as uh, keeping our diet in check, eating lots of calcium vitamin. and yeah, taking vitamin D tablets and that kind of thing. I uh, I must admit I uh, I had a fairly extensive set of medical tests done before my hike last year on the Bibbulmun track, and I discovered that I had a vitamin D deficiency, um, which is which is not so uncommon, particularly in Australia with you know middle of winter where you're not getting much sun yeah. exposure. But given the amount of time I do spend out in the sun, it did surprise me. So yeah, um, um, look, I'm I'm not a doctor, but vitamin D is uh, interesting. It doesn't, I think it only sort of hangs around in your body for kind of like three months. I think my doctor told me so um it's not enough to get you through winter you, you know like um your exposure in summer and that kind of thing yeah. so uh, i take vitamin d tablets um, um i generally take them all the time but uh much, you know much more diligent in winter I'm, i must admit i i've gotten to the stage now particularly on the long hikes that i will actually take a vitamin a multivitamin every morning yeah. uh, just to just to get over that it's sort of uh, as i said even even though it's you know, it's normally my hands and my face, and and really, I suppose because I'm so covered up, it tends to be yeah. my hands. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not actually picking up a lot of direct sunlight in most cases. Uh, we wear a lot of sunscreen. We are both uh, very white. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, freckles. Mm-hmm. We we should be somewhere north <laughs> and cold. We shouldn't be here. So yeah, we cover up all the time, and so yeah, exactly. You don't actually get that vitamin D exposure. From you know your pinky, it's showing. <laughs> All right, so now I suppose looking at um, you know we've talked about the music, we've talked about the um, uh, the Australia process, and I suppose putting them together, you mm-hmm. are going to be playing uh, as you go, as you mentioned, um, yeah. and you've um, um, you've said that you've got a, a schedule, so you know, do you know where you're playing along <laughs> the trip, or, or yeah. at least or at least in theory, do you know where you're playing? We do. <laughs> uh, honestly, the schedule is still coming together, but we've got a pretty darn good idea. Um, so, in general, in general, the uh, the North Island of New Zealand is is much more populated, yeah. and I think more, I guess, consistently populated. Uh, so it seems like there's a lot more walking from town to town, whereas the South Island is more isolated. So, the majority of our gigs will be in um, the North Island, and um, Maybe uh, one of the things that we're really excited about, I suppose, is playing in the smaller towns and communities along the way because that's where essentially we're, we're trying to play as close to the trail as possible. Like, um, you know, we're not going to go to Auckland Stadium if it's – well, Auckland was a bad choice because we walked straight through it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we are excited. Uh, there's a lot of variety, I suppose, in our performances. So uh, some of them will be house concerts, so playing in people's living rooms, whereas some of them will be, like, community halls and, um, like, proper concert halls. And, um, and yeah, so, yeah, essentially all over, uh, all over the North Island, whereas the South Island is a lot sparse 
sparsely populated. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we've, uh, what's exciting though, we, we just got accepted into Fire Flat Folk Festival, which is the South Island's biggest folk festival over New Year's. So, um, and that's in Dunedin, which is nowhere near the trail at all. So we're, <laughs> we'll be, um, we'll be taking, I think we've decided on 21 days off from the, the hike and we'll be renting a car and driving down there to play. And, um, that means we can go to Christchurch as well, which is also quite far away from the trail. And, um, I've actually toured New Zealand before with another band and, uh, yeah, we loved Christchurch and we really loved Dunedin. So, um, we'll be, yeah, we'll sort of take a, a, a three week sojourn to, uh, to do some more traditional van based touring. Okay. Now, you guys are professional musicians, or, or as when, so when I say professional musicians, you teach and you play, yeah. I believe. So yeah. um, now, in relation to what you're doing in New Zealand, you obviously need to fund what you're doing, but I think you're also promoting and, and, um, uh, and helping out from an osteoporosis point of view as well? Yeah, we are. Um, we didn't. We didn't, we're not doing this tour to make money, I suppose, um, in that walking on foot is probably not the best way. No. <laughs> Touring is hard enough as it, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is definitely for the love of it and just because we want to, I would say. But, yeah, another um, aspect of it is raising money for, and awareness for osteoporosis, which is something that, um, yeah, obviously is very personal to me. Um and I'd really like to um, get the word out there because this is a, a silent disease, which means that you don't – there's no symptoms until you break a bone. And yeah. even then, so many people um, are going untreated because they don't get a DEXA scan, which shows your actual bone density. So it can be caught really late in life um, where there are drugs and things you can do about it. Um, but if it was caught earlier, like it was for me, um, there's lots of uh, – exercise and food related things that you can do about it um which is great i must, I must admit you, you tend to think about osteoporosis being an old person's disease mm. uh, and particularly older <laughs> older women i think as well but yeah um, absolutely um it can yeah men can get osteoporosis and yeah younger people too and I, I just it seems like it's just not caught very early there's not screening tests for it um i think if you're 70 it's subsidized <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and all the um, all you know, anytime we're looking at information to do with it, or pamphlets, or websites, or things, but of course the cover has it, an eighty-year-old person on it. Yeah, um, which is fine. It's just we I guess we're hoping to spread some sort of general awareness uh, yeah. for osteoporosis, yeah. uh, risk factors Knowing in younger risk people. Factors. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I suppose as far as money goes, oh, I, um, I guess leading on from that, um, the the sort of scarcity of information and research. Uh, on osteoporosis in younger people led us to contact Peter Ebling, I should say Dr. Dr. Peter Ebling, <laughs> yep. who is, I think I need your help on this one. He's the head of medicine, I believe, at Monash University and an expert in osteoporosis and bones. And, uh, yeah, we, we spoke to him and he was very lovely and he was very supportive of yeah. us and he sort of helped uh, – Helped word us up on what we can actually tell people as non-doctors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because obviously we're not going to go recommending someone with severe osteoporosis to eat more, you know, cheese or something. <laughs> um, but he's been really lovely and we were particularly, like we, we wanted to somehow be able to give back or contribute and um, so we've, we'll be donating, 20, at the moment we're sitting on 20% yeah. of... Uh, our merch sales through the tour, and we'll also be raising money uh, to his osteoporosis research. All right, that's pretty good. I'll I'll, uh, I'll go through and put a link uh, to that on the show notes as well. Uh, so, thank you. Um, yeah, hopefully we can help out on that side of things as well. All right, so let's look at the trip itself now. Tell us a bit about the planning <laughs> process for this trip. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> And, 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 who's, and who's doing it? <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> okay, so it's interesting. We're <laughs> Picture um, like when the detective has figured out the, the serial killer's motives and they've got that red string from room to room <laughs> to <laughs> newspaper clipping. Yes, except it's all virtual. It's all on our computers, I would say. 
there was a spreadsheet. Um, one of the uh, biggest issues, obviously, at the start, and still is maybe, <laughs> is knowing uh, where we will be at what time so that we can actually lock in a gig and know that we will reach that gig at a certain time um, and not miss it by a couple of days <laughs> yeah, yeah. or something like that. So, yeah, we had to um, write up the whole of the trip and, yeah, real- realistically know where we were going to be um, so that we could ask venues for, yeah, certain dates and that kind of thing. Mm. But then uh, on the, the other side of missing a gig, the same challenge applies to getting there too early because, you know, suddenly we figured out where ahead of schedule and then we have to stay in town for, you know, 12 days or something <laughs> practicing and spending money on accommodation or food. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we won't quite know until we actually do it. <laughs> yeah, we're starting to feel like we know the trail pretty well because we've been staring at this map for so long. Yeah. Uh, I guess we've been preparing for just over a year now. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, I think October, we started October last October year. October last yeah. year we decided to do it and then it's just sort of snowballed. Mm. Um, so I'd actually say that most of our preparation has been for the music side of it. It's been organizing gigs, knowing where we'll be when. And then uh, me and Mickey didn't have an album. So um, we've actually just been recording that this week. We actually finished today, this morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what a ride. So yeah, whereas... Um, we were part of these TA groups online. Um, TA on meaning T-Roll. Sorry, yes, yep. on Facebook. And we're there sort of throwing all these emails, asking questions to other hikers, saying, what are you going to do here on the hike and what are you thinking about this gear and all that kind of stuff. Me and Mickey are in like, what are we going to, you know, what track are we going to put where on our album? What chord <laughs> should go next? <laughs> yeah, we're just in this whole different headspace <laughs> at the moment. It's very much in the music side of it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so uh, especially like planning your own tour in this sort of grassroots fashion is is quite yeah. difficult. But I think um, I think with our skill set, we can we can and with the time that we've had available, we've generally been able to afford to indulge in in more of the music side of planning because, like, mm. particularly Michelle is a whiz with a map and oh, um, like I suppose planning. And logistics is what I'm is what I'm He's after. He's trying to say that I'm the more obsessive of the two of us. Well, there's, there's always got to be one. So, <laughs> <laughs> whereas I'm much more of a yeah sure whatever type of hiker, and um, I not not having never hiked in New Zealand, I can say I'm 100 percent confident in Michelle's ability to <laughs> to plan on the fly. And um, yeah, I think we've had some situations in the past where. You know, she's just been very much like looking at the map and our our itinerary and going, oh, you know, if we did half of next day's walking as well, we'd get out X quicker and we'd be in a yeah. we'd be in a hotel by <laughs> tomorrow night or something. Or there's a huge rainstorm on the way. Whereas I'm um, the oblivious but enthusiastic companion. <laughs> just on the logistics side of things, so how long is it going to take you to to do the the trip overall? What's the what's the planned time the frame? Plan. Okay, at the moment we start at the very end of September. And we go all the way through to about mid-April. Yep. Um, that includes that sort of 20 to 27 days off around Christmas and New Year's and all of our gigs. So we have to take off, obviously, the day for a gig, but we have to take off at least the day before it as well. So I suppose gigs are kind of our rest days <laughs> mm. where we do something else. <laughs> well, we at least rest our, our feet, but not our brains. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. No, that's fair enough. I think if you know, if you particularly your trip that sort of length, you've got to have rest days somewhere, and if uh, exactly. you know, you're doing something you enjoy and and, and you're, you're using that the at least the the hands and the, the brain rather than the, the legs, <laughs> smaller muscles. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I know this is going to vary, but do you have an average distance that you're planning on covering each day? Yeah. Um. I guess we kind of know what we like to cover. Uh, I would say probably twenty kilometers. Um. We're very happy to do less than that. Yep. <laughs> We're also, um, we've also done more than that. Of course, it really depends on terrain. And I would say that me and Mickey have done a lot of uh, up and down. Like our hikes, you know, like the Australian Arts Walking Track has been lots of elevation in them. So we're quite used to doing uh, less kilometres. <laughs> so I'm curious to see how we go with um, certain flatter sections of TA. Um, yeah, I think I think you'll you'll pick up you'll, you'll certainly pick up a bit of speed. I, I yeah. suppose coming back to you're saying you've done the Lara Penta, it's mm. like um, um, 
I don't know which way. Where did you start on the Lara Pinta? Which which uh, it's we went, Yeah, we went west to east. Yeah, so I think you know, the last two days of Lara Pinta, where you're pretty much on relatively flat ground, you you tend to tend to get through quite a bit bit of distance. Whereas the first few days, yeah. it's a bit harder. Yeah, I think we were almost clearing thirty. We yeah, we could taste that ice cream when we were. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> All right. Now, are you going to be tenting it for most of the uh, the trip, or uh, are you um, doing a combination of tent and sleeping in people's houses and hotels? Um, I think the overwhelming majority will be in our tent. Um, we have a really soft spot for huts. Uh, the huts on the Australian Alps walking track are just yeah, they were like a big um, a big draw card for me after after the very first one. I just fell in love with them. Yeah. So, um, we'll be we hanging wanna... out in the huts. But yeah. having said that, I, I still like spending the night in the tent. Yeah. Um, we've got a Mont tent that's very lovely. And it's very luxurious. It's a three-person tent. Yeah. Uh, that's that's, that's, that's <laughs> always pretty good. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then, um, sure, there might be some hotels, but... Um, like I said before, I think a lot of, like, say, the house concerts that we'll be running have offered to put us up in a place. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think I can confidently say as musicians, like, um, staying at someone's house after a performance is, like, infinitely better than going back to uh, just, like, a stale hotel room. Um, yeah. And I think we're, we're really excited about the sort of cultural exchange, I suppose, of of this trip and, like, the, the holistic nature of combining, like, music hiking and this sort of health awareness thing. Yeah, I think it sort of fits into our mission statement, yeah. I suppose, to uh, to be staying with locals uh, whenever possible. So something just came to mind just with what we've been talking about. So essentially you're doing a musical tour and rather than driving, you're walking from venue to venue. That's it. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> All right. Um, now, what about resupply? So food-wise, um, you know, how many days of food do you think you're going to be carrying or yeah, what's what's the resupply strategy? Um, okay, so we've carried eight days before. That's heavy. Yep. No, it's like, <laughs> we can do eight days, but it is, you know. Yeah, that's, a, that's enough. That's a, you know, I'm carrying 20 kilos at that point kind of thing. And, yeah, less is always nicer. So, you know, I guess we'll be aiming for maybe seven days at the most. Um, but, yeah, I, there's amazing trail notes for this hike, and they show all the resupply options and most of the time, it's it looks like it's less than it's around seven days at the most, or less than that. Um, when you get into the South Island, there are some stretches that are more, more like ten days, and you um, post to a location. When you're in the when you're in the end of the North Island at Wellington, you actually set up some parcels for yourself, and you post to yourself in the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess that's technically kind of a food drop, but not nearly as much organising. No, I must admit, uh, I'm used to doing mail resupplies. As this episode goes to air, uh, I would have hopefully finished my human hovel track trip, and that that, uh, involved uh, doing a a box drop to an accommodation site and then a uh, hide a barrel of food in the middle of the bush, uh, uh, which is what you would have been used to on the the Australian Alps walking track. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a luxury when you can go to a post office and say, is my box here? You've already mentioned uh, your... Um, your uh, musical instrument maker, uh, Mickey, uh, in relation to helping out. But do you have any other sponsors or uh, family and friends that are that are helping out on the trail for this this uh, this journey? Um, we're afraid that's it. Well, we don't. <laughs> yeah. we don't have any other sponsors. Uh, we have some family people put their hands up just to come over and catch up with us. Yeah, I think um, my mum and my sister are going to come over for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. And maybe some of Michelle's family. Yeah. We're just starting to talk about that now. So, um, yeah, in Christmas we'll be in Dunedin, and I th- oh, when I say Dunedin, I obviously mean Wellington. Yeah. And I think we'll be ready for a couple of days off yeah. to hang out. But um, no, I guess um, the invitation is open to all of your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Come along. Come for a hike. Uh, we have um, we've had uh, some really good chats uh, with. Mark, who's the chief executive of TA. Oh, that's a great point. <laughs> He's been very helpful and very supportive of the idea and even helped us get a gig near Wanaka. Let's get on to uh, talking gear. So while you're both hikers, would you class yourself as gearheads or is, you just tend to use what's at, what's at hand? 
in, in some ways, I think we're, we can be very specific. And then on the other hand, we can definitely make do. <laughs> Not worry. Yeah. Uh, so examples. Uh, are packs? Are packs? Are iron packs? Have you come across those? I have. I haven't used them, but I am. I'm aware of them. Uh, and you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Well, they're a New Zealand um, company. I've got his name. Is it Tim? I just call him Mr. Arn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> couple who, um, yeah, who make these balance packs. And when um, when I was going to do this Australian Arts Walking Track, it was you know I was a little I was apprehensive. I suppose I didn't quite know how my spine would take it having osteoporosis. And I thought that the balance packs are probably a really good idea for me because it could load the weight sort of straight down and more onto my hips rather than my back sort of taking so much of the load. And, yeah, well, I've sort of fell in love with those packs and Mickey ended up getting one too. Mm, I love it. Um, one of the best things is just um, so you've got these, I don't know, what we've been calling them boob packs. What I don't think the they're officially called boob packs. but Yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah the, 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 balance, the balance packs at the front. <laughs> There's two balanced pouches hanging yeah. above your chest, um, but you can put your water bottle in them, and then so and your food snacks. So you can actually you can reach you, things. You can you know you can drink while walking, um, which is really nice, and it you know it totally trumps a camel pack because you can actually see how much water is left in your bottle. Yeah, that's nice too. We love them. <laughs> but the thing is, is that a lot of people we've come across haven't. Not everyone is familiar with the iron packs. And you get a few funny looks. Oh, they look really <laughs> dorky. Um, especially when we're both wearing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, it's not unusual. I think it's. I think if you tend to get one one pair of a a couple using them, the mm-hmm. other one will t- often tend to end up doing it as well. So we have a lot of the same gear. It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but then on the flip side, um, you know. All of our clothes just come from Vinnie's and we wear them until they're rags and then <laughs> buy another $5 shirt. Uh, and would you, and you, you, you're saying that, uh, uh, you know, eight days worth of food and 20, uh, you know, weighing 20 kilos is mm. not too bad. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of weight, but I mean, you know, it certainly, is. certainly you're not, you, you, you I've, I've seen people carrying 34 kilos in, in the same oh, sort yeah. of situation. So, um, I mean, you know, and, it, you know, in relation to food, I mean, have you, have you, you guys, what do you tend to eat when you're when you're going on these long distance hikes? Is it everything and anything, or are you you're pretty specific no, on what you eat? Very specific. <laughs> okay, so um, have you heard of extreme gourmet? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't actually. Ah, a book for you to check out. It's by Sonia Malsima, and it, she's from New South Wales, and she started this. Uh, so I guess crowdfunding campaign to make this book, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, and it's high-energy, lightweight recipes for the outdoor enthusiast. Yeah, right. So all of her recipes are based on, you know, the energy consumption you'll need for extreme outdoor activities. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's become a bit of our food bible. Yes. And, like, there's there's these great meals in there. There's, like, like. There's spag bowl, like oh sorry, the the other parameter of the book is that all of the ingredients can be found in your average supermarket, and they will all freeze dry, no dehydrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's yeah there's um there's there's spag bowl, there's pizza, yeah. there's like uh, dumplings. It's just great, and we've definitely um we've definitely like sort of snubbed our noses at some of the people eating backcountry. Um, which can be really nice. Oh yeah, it. which can be great. But yeah, we've definitely. Or oh, so, some people, you know, eating like cold nuts for dinner, <laughs> and then they're looking up at us as we're like, you know, mixing our tuna mornay. Look a bit, um, bit yeah. jealous. Yeah. So look, the thing is, is that we can't, and we don't want to. We don't want to prepare all of our food like we have for other hikes. But um, I think that with the knowledge from this book, I think we'll be able to make up some of the recipes um, when we walk into a supermarket and that kind of thing. It's also. Yeah. Um, it's given like me the confidence to know um, the right kind of energy that I need for hiking, and which is a lot more than my everyday life. <laughs> so yeah, we both feel quite comfortable with knowing how much we eat and therefore not losing weight on a hike. Yeah, and actually that that, that raises a point there. I mean. With the, the trips that you've both done, uh, typically males will strip the weight off pr- quite quickly, whereas females, they'll, they'll lose some weight or maintain weight, but they don't tend to lose a huge amount. Have you found that's the case on the hikes that you've done, or you, 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 you're both losing or both gaining or both, both staying stable with your weight? Uh, I think you're spot on. Yeah, so I generally stay stable. Um, I 
it moves around. <laughs> the weight will go from my arms into my legs. Yeah, so I'll yeah. feel different. But if I stand on the scales at the end, I, I'm the same. If I'm eating well, this kind of food. Uh, Mickey usually loses a little bit. Yeah, I've got I, I've been stockpiling some weight over the last couple of weeks. Um yeah, <laughs> I, I think I lost two kilos in two weeks yeah. on the Australian Alps. But I had some to burn then and I think now I'm a bit slimmer. Um yeah. so we'll see, yeah, I just plan on um pigging out whenever we get to a town. Yeah, I found that we really need on the off days to eat a lot of food when we're in towns. <laughs> Yeah, it's not hard. I mean, I, I know on my on my biggest days, I burn about eight and a half thousand calories, and there's just no way you can carry carry no, that no. sort of food on a trail. You've, you you know you're gonna you're gonna drop it or or in, yeah. in Michelle's case, you you you're toning up, uh, which is pretty common for females on the longer trails. Yeah. So in relation to your osteoporosis, um, how do you see the trip going? I mean, you know, you you are you pretty confident you're like, you're going to finish the trip, or you know, have you got any strategies for for injuries, or you know, if you if you yeah. find that look, you're getting six weeks in or ten weeks in, and it's just not going to work. How, how have you worked that one? Uh, good questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, I've actually had a I've had two stress fractures in my foot from hiking. Um, one of them was on the Australian Arts walking track, but it wasn't particularly bad. And um, I actually took some days off and I managed to continue and it was okay. Um, but another one, um, a stress fracture that I had, uh, I well, the hike finished and then I realized that I had the stress fracture. But, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to continue then. So it's, yeah, breaking something, I guess, is definitely on my mind. I've, from past experiences, I'd like to say that I've learnt <laughs> things from them. Uh, firstly, how to hike. So um, I'm very careful with the way that I walk, I would say. Um, for example, I don't rock hop because yep. <laughs> that's yep. something that will give me a stress fracture, which is what happened the first time I had one. Um, yeah, because you've got that extra weight on your back and that, yeah, just your foot gets fatigued and, yeah, it's easy for me, I suppose, to get a stress fracture. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. The thing is what I – what on these giant alps um, – at first, I was so concerned about finishing that hike, and I had—I was so worried about my foot getting another stress fracture. But in the end, it was actually my knee that went. <laughs> um, you know, really sore knee, hurt when I bent my knee and that kind of stuff. And I just sort of hobbled along and kind of continued the whole way. I think um, I came to terms with not finishing that hike, and then in the end, I actually did end up finishing it. So we're okay with not finishing, I suppose. Yeah, it's definitely one day at a time. Like we've planned this huge thing, but we're aware that it won't go to plan. <laughs> yeah, and you know there'll be weather, and um, yeah. yeah, we're we're mentally prepared to. We're, uh, it's not in our aesthetic to hike every step of the way. Like, um, if if we've got a gig approaching and we've been kept in by rain for the last three days or something, we're yeah. fully prepared to you know hitch a couple of days so that yeah. we can keep our so like performance commitments. Yeah. Mm. Now, from the from the physical to the mental, um, how what sort of mechanisms do you have as as a couple um, that um, you know, you know, that you, you 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 don't wake up and feel like you're about to stab the other person in the tent because they've they've been snoring all night or uh, they've been keeping you awake? How, how do you tend to find that is that goes on the longer trips? Well, we keep the knives outside the tent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We haven't had an issue yet. With that yet. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I'm really funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that I think we found an issue. <laughs> um, actually, I think maybe our unconscious plan is that we tend to sleep in a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not uncommon for us to commence our hike at 11 or 12. I am. I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I, I actually, in all fairness, I suppose prioritizing sleep is a big one, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, not not overexerting ourselves. I think because it's such such a long distance. Um, so yeah, so limiting. I mean, not not essentially limiting ourselves to twenty k's, but like leaving it around there. You know, we we don't have these enormous plans to get from Auckland to Christchurch in two days. Yeah, and so there's. I think there's less pressure on us. Yeah, and I suppose the music. And having that time off the hike and that kind of thing, I think will be really good for our mental health too. Like I really love the headspace I get into while hiking, but you know I've done a six-week hike. I haven't done a six-month hike. 
Um, so I think yeah. it would be really nice to have that time away from the hike. Um, um, yeah, and a lot in, of – oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say to be in a different mental state. Mm. We have seen uh, – yeah, there's this, like, awesome Facebook group uh, for TA walkers, and some people have been posting, you know, like, oh, no, I've just finished the hike and I'm back at my office job and I hate myself or, like, I just want to go again or I can't sit at a desk for another day. And I think um, this is potentially the start of us sort of integrating hiking and work on a more regular basis. Yeah. And so, so it, I mean, it definitely has more of a holiday aspect or I don't know if you call hiking a holiday. <laughs> it definitely has more of like an adventure outside the norm aspect to it right now, but in the future it might be more of a, a combined activity. Yeah, I, I, I found that with, with uh, you know, the longest trip I've done has been five weeks and, and pretty much that was all by myself barring about nine hours worth. And wow. that, um, where was that? That was on the, that was on the Bibbleman track. And, um, right. um, yeah, I've, I, I, didn't come across a lot of people until I started getting into uh, towards Perth. So as I said, talking to people, it would have been probably around about nine hours over five weeks. And, wow. and, and I certainly came away from, you know, having thought through the problems of the world and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, solo hiking tends to be a very different beast. Uh, and, and, and yeah. you do, and you do come away, uh, whether it's solo or as a group, you come away uh, from the long trips, uh, really thinking about where you're heading and what you're doing and, 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 you know, what, what do you want to be doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. There's so much clarity when you go out of your normal day. What, what, what parts of the trip are you most looking forward to? So music aside, but in relation to, is it scenery? Is it people? What's, uh, what's the, the things you, you know, you can't wait to see or do? I think dehydrated food. <laughs> he just loves it. Oh. Uh, okay. Um, it's it's probably a combination of people and scenery. I'm very excited about there's about I think a month and a half in the uh, South Island that we don't have any gigs and we're gonna it's gonna be quite rural and very isolated compared yeah. to what we will have done in the North Island. And yeah, I mean I do love that kind of hiking. So I'm excited about that. But I guess I'm equally excited about, yeah, coming to towns and having that sort of cultural exchange experience that I haven't had on many hikes before because I tend to pick the more isolated ones. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, we're also excited for, um, like, the trail life. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I, like I mentioned this Facebook book group earlier, but you're already starting to make these online friends and it's kind of fun to have, you know, have – Meet them in real life and then have be removed from like the sort of online element and mm. to just hear stories about the people who are ahead of you or, you know, um, the people who are going the opposite way. They say, oh, you know, in a couple of days you'll run into this person and then you finally meet them and it's, it's yeah. just lovely. Yeah. And we're hoping they'll come to some of our gigs. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Okay. So I suppose um, I just want as one of the final thing. What final comment would you like to make to anyone contemplating undertaking a, a hike on the Tayaro? Uh, yeah, so I would thoroughly recommend checking out the TA website. Um, TA Trust. TA Trust. So they've got some awesome infrastructure set in place, and uh, the hike's been going since 2011. And since then, they've really taken care of it, and every year they're updating it to make it safer. Um, and yeah, the, the trail angels, the people who like are open to like having you come and shower at their place if you can't handle it or if you need a night off or if you've run out of food, like they're so supportive and really warm and friendly and I would thoroughly recommend checking that out. Okay. So thank you very much for your time and good luck on your upcoming trip. Oh, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Mickey and Michelle uh, talking about their upcoming trip, which they start on the 1st of October on the Te Araoa in New Zealand. Now, as we said at the start of this episode and throughout uh, when we talked to them, they really are doing something a bit out of the ordinary, I suppose. So they're not just doing a hike because they enjoy it or uh, they're doing it for a couple of reasons. One is... Uh, to raise awareness of osteoporosis, particularly in uh, younger people. 
And the other thing, just to complicate the matter, was they're doing this as musicians. Uh, so they're having to plan in such a way that they need to know where they are at any given point in time so they can book, go through and book their venues uh, in advance. So it really means that they're going to have to actually have a schedule and stick to that schedule, or if, if things go horribly wrong, they're going to have to have enough notice to go through and change it. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. I think you meant that they, they need to know where they're going to be because <laughs> hopefully they'd know where they are. <laughs> we, hope, we, hope, we, we hope so. We hope so. But, it, you know, I, I guess the more we do of this, the more I really enjoy hearing um, the stories of people and why they um, – get out there and do something that's a little bit different and, um, you know, in this case we've got, you know, two um, interesting reasons and two uh, interesting ways in which they're doing what they're doing. So, you know, it's just fantastic and I think it's a great motivation and great inspiration for people. So we, uh, as I said, they're starting their, their walk on the, the 1st of October, uh, which is not that far away. Um, uh, we've gone through on the show notes and put a series of links to uh, both the Tayaroa Trail for those people that are interested in finding out more about this long-distance trail in New Zealand. Uh, we've also gone through and put links to Mickey and Michelle's website, um, including to their music. They are musicians. So this is what they do for a living. Uh, and I, and I, I've got a fairly eclectic sort of taste in music, and I found that uh, in listening to the songs which they've got on their website, I actually enjoy quite a lot of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it is. Uh, you know, when you combine the harp and 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 a jazz jazz violin, um, it, it's quite interesting sort of music. And there's a couple of particular pieces there that I do like. So uh, I'm more than likely going to go through and and buy the album because I really do enjoy it. So have a listen to the music uh, on the on the website. Uh, go through and follow along with Mickey and Michelle. Their uh, Facebook and Instagram page, which I'll be posting, will be uh, uh, available as well. Uh, and their website providing a bit of background to, to what they're doing, including a link uh, once they start walking to donate to uh, to osteoporosis research. I think this is a really interesting one because, you know, there are so many ways in which you can uh, follow and support what they're doing, whether it's about the music, whether it's about the osteoporosis um, cause that they're raising money for, um, whether it's just following on their journey. So, you know, there's something in there for everyone, I think. So we'll hopefully we'll be going through and catching up with them um, over the coming months. You know, they're going to be doing this for many months. So uh, probably just around the Christmas period, we'll try and catch up with them and see how their trip's going. Okay, that's all for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this uh, interesting episode. Uh, and as I said, if you're keen, follow along with Mickey and Michelle on their website. Next week's episode, we're going to be talking about considerations for choosing equipment to carry on a hike. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. <laughs>